Hello, I'm Cheryl, and this is Sleep Tight Relax, a calming bedtime podcast for the young and young at heart. Our sleep story is the next chapter of Peter Pan. In our last chapter, Peter and the Lost Boys made a house for Wendy. Now Peter has measured them for trees, and Wendy is very busy looking after the boys every day. They play lots of games and have adventures. Peter sometimes goes on adventures with and without them, and we are going to hear a bit about his adventures. Now, are you cozy? Are you in your comfortable place? Your place to relax? Or your favorite position in bed? You can take a moment to position your pillows, a teddy, or your other little comforts to make sure that everything feels as it should. Are you ready now to take a few deep belly breaths? Let's start relaxing by taking three deep belly breaths. Breathe in. Feel the air come in through your nose, filling your belly full of air. Now breathe out just like you are letting out a slow sigh. Softly breathe in and out. Let's do that again. Breathe in, filling your belly with air. And breathe out slowly releasing the air. As you breathe, notice anything that might be a bit uncomfortable. Notice how your wiggly toes feel, how your legs feel, how your belly gets bigger as you breathe in and gets smaller as you breathe out. Notice your arms and your head. Breathe in deeply, filling your body with air and relaxation. Breathe out slowly, expelling any tension. Perfect. You are already feeling more calm and relaxed. Let's continue with Peter Pan, Chapter 6. One of the first things Peter did the next day was to measure Wendy and John and Michael for hollow trees. Hook, you remember, had sneered at the boys for thinking they needed a tree each, but this was silly. For unless your tree fit you, it was difficult to go up and down. 
and no two of the boys were quite the same size. But you simply must fit, and Peter measures you for your tree as carefully as for a suit of clothes. The only difference being that the clothes are made to fit you, while you have to be made to fit the tree. Usually it is done quite easily, as if you are wearing too many garments or too few. But if you are bumpy in awkward places, or the only available tree is an odd shape, Peter does some things to you, and after that, you fit. Once you fit, great care must be taken to go on fitting. And this, as Wendy was to discover to her delight, keeps a whole family in perfect condition. Wendy and Michael fit their trees at the first try, but John had to be altered a little. After a few days' practice, they could go up and down as happily as buckets in a well. And how they grew to love their home under the ground, especially Wendy. It consisted of one large room, as all houses should do, with a floor in which you could dig if you wanted to go fishing. And in this floor grew stout mushrooms of a charming color, which were used as stools. A never tree tried hard to grow in the center of the room, but every morning they sawed the trunk through, level with the floor. By tea time, it was always about two feet high, and then they put a door on top of it, the whole thus becoming a table. As soon as they cleared away, they sawed off the trunk again, and therefore there was more room to play. There was an enormous fireplace, which was in almost any part of the room where you cared to light it. And across this, Wendy stretched strings made of fiber from which she suspended her washing. The bed was tilted against the wall by day and let down at 6.30, when it filled nearly half the room, and all the boys slept in it except Michael, lying like sardines in a tin. There was a strict rule against turning round until one gave the signal, when all turned at once. Michael should have used it also, but Wendy would have a baby and he was the littlest. And you know what women are like, and the short and long of it was that he was hung up in a basket. It was rough and simple, and not unlike what baby bears would have made of an underground house in the same circumstances. But there was one recess in the wall, no larger than a birdcage, which was the private apartment of Tinkerbell. It could be shut off from the rest of the house by a tiny curtain, which Tink, who was most fussy, always kept drawn when she was changing. I suppose it was all especially entrancing to Wendy, because those rambunctious boys of hers gave her so much to do. 
really. There were whole weeks when, except perhaps with a stocking in the evening, she was never above ground. The cooking, I can tell you, kept her nose to the pot. And even if there was nothing in it, even if there was no pot, she had to keep watching that it came to a boil just the same. You never exactly knew whether there would be a real meal or just a make-believe. It all depended upon Peter's whim. He could eat, really eat, if it was part of a game, but he could not just as easily, which is what most children like better than anything else. Make-believe was so real to him that during a meal of it, you could see him grow rounder. Of course, it was trying, but you simply had to follow his lead. And if you could prove to him that you were getting loose for your tree, he let you eat. Wendy's favorite time for sewing and darning was after they had all gone to bed. Then, as she expressed it, she had a breathing time for herself, and she occupied it in making new things for them and putting double pieces on the knees, for they were all most frightfully hard on their knees. When she sat down to a basket full of their stockings, every heel with a hole in it, she would fling up her arms and exclaim, Oh dear, I sometimes wish I didn't need to do this. Her face beamed when she exclaimed this. As time wore on, did she think much about the beloved parents she had left behind her? This is a difficult question because it is quite impossible to say how much time does wear on in the Neverland, where it is calculated by moons and suns, and there are ever so many more of them than on the mainland. But I am afraid that Wendy did not really worry about her father and mother, she was absolutely confident that they would always keep the window open for her to fly back by. And this gave her complete ease of mind. What did bother her at times was that John remembered his parents vaguely only, as people he had once known, while Michael was quite willing to believe that she was really his mother. These things scared her a little, and nobly anxious to do her duty, she tried to fix the old life in their minds by setting them exam papers on it, as like as possible to the ones she used to do at school. The other boys thought this awfully interested and insisted on joining, and they made slates for themselves and sat round the table writing and thinking hard about the questions she had written on another slate and passed around. They were the most ordinary questions. What was the color of mother's eyes? Who was taller, father or mother? Was mother blonde or brunette? Answer all three questions if possible. A. 
write an essay of not less than 40 words on how I spent my last holidays or the characters of father and mother compared. Only one of these is to be done. Or one, describe mother's laugh. Two, describe father's laugh. Three, describe mother's party dress. Four, describe the kennel and its occupant. They were just everyday questions like these. And when you could not answer them, you were told to do a jumping jack. And it was really dreadful what a number of jumping jacks even John had to do. Of course, the only boy who replied to every question was Slightly. And no one could have been more helpful of coming out first but his answers were perfectly ridiculous, and he really came out last. Poor thing. Peter did not compete. For one thing, he despised all mothers except Wendy, and for another, he was the only boy on the island who could neither write nor spell. Not the smallest word. He was above all that sort of thing. By the way, all the questions were written in the past tense. What was the color of mother's eyes and so on? Wendy, you see, had been forgetting too. Adventures, of course, as we shall see, were a daily occurrence. But about this time, Peter invented, with Wendy's help, a new game that fascinated him enormously, until he suddenly had no more interest in it, which, as you have been told, was what always happened with his games. It consisted in pretending not to have adventures, in doing the sort of thing John and Michael had been doing all their lives sitting on stools, flinging balls in the air, pushing each other, going out for walks and coming back without having caught so much as a grizzly. To see Peter doing nothing on a stool was a great sight. He could not help looking serious at such times. To sit still seemed to him such a funny thing to do. He boasted that he had gone walking for the good of his health. For several sons, these were the most novel of all adventures to him, and John and Michael had to pretend to be delighted also. Otherwise, he would have treated them angrily. He often went out alone, and when he came back, you were never absolutely certain whether he had had an adventure or not. He might have forgotten it so completely that he said nothing about it. But on the other hand, he might say a great deal about it, and yet you could not find any proof. Sometimes he came home with his head bandaged, and then Wendy cooed over him and bathed it in lukewarm water, while he told a dazzling tale. But she was never quite sure, you know, 
There were, however, many adventures which she knew to be true, because she was in them herself. And there were still more that were at least partly true, for the other boys were in them and said they were wholly true. Perhaps one adventure we might talk about would be the night attack by the men on the house under the ground, when several of them got stuck in the hollow trees and had to be pulled out like corks. Or we might tell how Peter saved Tiger Lily's life in the Mermaid's Lagoon and so made her his ally. Or we could tell of that cake the pirates cooked so that the boys might eat it and get sick, and how the pirates placed it in one smart spot after another, but Wendy always snatched it from the boys' hands, so that in time it lost its pleasure and became as hard as a stone and was used as a missile, and Hook fell over it in the dark. Or suppose we tell of the birds that were Peter's friend, particularly of the never bird that built in a tree overhanging the lagoon, and how the nest fell into the water, and still the bird sat on her eggs, and Peter gave orders that she was not to be disturbed. That is a pretty story and the end shows how grateful a bird can be. But if we tell it, we must also tell the whole adventure of the lagoon, which would of course be telling two adventures, rather than just one. A shorter adventure, and quite as exciting, was Tinkerbell's attempt, with the help of some street fairies, to have the sleeping Wendy conveyed on a great floating leave to the mainland. Fortunately, the leaf gave way and Wendy woke, thinking it was bath time, and swam back. Or again, we might choose Peter's defiance of the lions, when he drew a circle round him on the ground with an arrow and dared them to cross it. And though he waited for hours, with the other boys and Wendy looking on breathlessly from trees, Not one of the lions dared to accept his challenge. Which of these adventures shall we choose? The best way would be to toss for it. I have tossed, and the lagoon has won. This almost makes one wish that the cake or Tink's leaf had won. Of course, I could do it again, and make it best out of three. However, perhaps it is fairest to stick to the lagoon. And that is the end of this chapter. Sleep tight.